Welcome to Holistic Sex Ed Radio, where we are changing the way parents talk to their kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe in our rapidly changing world. You are your kid's best source of information and primary example. In these thought-provoking conversations, Robin and her guests seek to improve your relationship skills, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Now, here's your host, Robin LaCrosse. Hey everyone, welcome to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. I'm your host, Robin LaCrosse, and I'm really excited today to bring you a fellow host on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, Dr. Gary Bell. He has a podcast called Absurd Psychology, and I've really been enjoying his show. He talks about such a wide variety of mental health and psychology topics. I find it very fascinating. So I'm excited to have him here on the show today. So Dr. Gary Bell is an EDD in psychology. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist in California and Washington State. He's worked over 600 critical incidents nationally and was the West Coast crisis responder for the cruise lines. His primary focus is on first responders debriefing, and specializing in the treatment of acute trauma and PTSD. He has taught various psychology topics at the University of California at Fullerton and San Bernardino. He's also taught at the U.S. Defense Department and various other locations. As I mentioned, he is the host of Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. And prior to moving to Washington State, he was practicing as a sole practitioner in Southern California for 18 years. And then in the last two years, he's moved up to Seattle, Washington, and is working with Seattle Christian Counseling. Currently, he is about to release a new book called The Good Book of Mental Hygiene. So I'm really excited to check that out. Hey, Dr. Gary, thanks so much for being with us here on the show today. Well, thanks, Robin. Thanks for having me. I know that you you have such a wide variety of topics that you can talk about around mental health. And one of the things I wanted to kind of focus on today was um, childhood trauma and the impact that that has on mental health. Yes. Uh, childhood trauma is amazing because it's it's like a spider. It just makes its way through. It, it becomes the person. It, it lays underneath with all their fears what they do is they felt vulnerable when they're young and they're taken advantage of, but they don't really understand what's going on many times. And then suddenly as they start to go into puberty and move on into that, they become extremely confused. And also they feel dirty as if they've been used as if they're not good enough to be in a relationship. Many of these folks uh, form codependent patterns uh, with people that are not usually the best people. Um, they have a tendency to try to embellish their fantasy life in order for them to find themselves to be attracted to other people. And some people that are molested or raped when they're young have a tendency to later on become the perpetrator in order to try to understand what happened to them. And then in the end, create another person that's been traumatized like that. So it, it can go so many different ways with childhood trauma. When, and you're talking about how like it underlies, like it becomes part of the foundation. And I think 
for young people who have been like, say, for example, sexually abused or abused in other ways or had some sort of childhood trauma that these patterns, these things that happen, like they become baked into like our responses and we don't even actually like, it's like our subconscious or unconscious programming. And so like how we interact with other people in relationships, um, that sort of thing going forward. I think it really, it makes us so we're not even aware as adults how these things have played out in our lives and who we might've been if that didn't happen. Absolutely. And it also depends on who the perpetrator was. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was a parent, that, that can just be just unbelievably complicated for them to understand why would something like this happen to me. And, and especially in childhood, here's another thing that affects them on a personal basis. And a lot of children will start to maybe defecate or maybe pee uh, mm-hmm. or maybe say dirty or maybe gain a lot of weight or try to look unattractive in order for them to deflect somebody looking at them sexually. And they think that that's going to protect them by doing uh, poor hygiene or whatever, overeating and then creating an, an enormous amounts of other health problems. Yeah, actually, as you say that, I was um, just reminded of uh, a young person I knew um, growing up who was being sexually abused and she did gain a lot of weight. And I've heard of similar stories too, whereas um, they people will eat a lot of food in order to make themselves undesirable to the perpetrators is the goal. Exactly. And the other, the other direction they go is alcohol, drugs, to try to blank it out, try, try mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, block out the past. Um, mm-hmm. it's really hard to cope with because when you're turned into an object, that's extremely confusing. You're not being related to as a person. You're, you're, you're being related to as an object serving someone else. And it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. So in a situation where like a young child, um, you know, like let's say quite young, like, I don't know, six years old, you know, maybe could be a little younger, could be a little older, has experienced um, some sort of trauma, you know, maybe sexual abuse, maybe, you know, something happened in the household that was traumatic, you know, a dog bit him in the face, who knows what, you know, some kind of... I've had that, by the way, I have already. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that can be very scary, you know, I mean, trauma comes in many forms. And so in a situation where like it's um, like a parent or a caretaker or, um, you know, somebody in a position of power adult of some sort and, you know, has, let's just use sexual abuse because it is such a common problem. You know, what happens to a young mind in a situation where they're experiencing abuse like that? Yes. They become fear-based. Um, and that means they're working off their survival mechanisms. That means they're not using their prefrontal cortex. So a lot of their life is dictated by how they feel rather than what they think. So they're really developing the, the reptilian brain much stronger than, than their educational aspects and their ability to, to at least construct a life where they're self-confident. Okay. And with that, like in a situation like that, where the reptilian brain is is being developed, um, would it, say, for example, a child be more likely to to lie or say things that were untrue in order to um, 
say to basically they feel like they're protecting themselves maybe to prevent a parent from getting upset with them or a teacher or something like that? Well, yeah, they, they all, they lost their power. They lost their ability. And a lot of the kids will just stuff it because they don't want to create conflict because that maybe that scary adult or scary teenager or scary, whatever uh, will come back and get them. And maybe their parents won't believe them. And so there's all kinds of fears that go on in that aspect. And so their whole day is, is reactive rather than proactive. And childhood should always be proactive. The other thing is they lose a lot of their fun. They, they, get, um, they, they become mature little kids because they feel like they're the only one in this world. And, and they also feel anger towards their parents, but at the same time, uh, because they can't tell them, but at the same time, they love them. And so that confuses that relationship too, because now they have to live with a secret. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they resent it, but they're scared to do it. And so, yeah, they learned to lie just by having to lie about this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And especially like, I know, um, for myself personally, you know, I experienced sexual abuse when I was older around, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, something like that. And, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, like that mental programming of like, this is our special thing. This is our secret, you know, this kind of thing. And my, my kind of what I walked away now as an adult, you know, looking back on those experiences and part of the reason that I'm very passionate about, you know, helping parents talk to their kids about sex is because, I didn't have that message there first that, you know, like if something happens, it's okay to come to my parents and tell them what's going on. You know, I didn't get the messages about, you know, like the appropriate kinds of touches and things like that. And so when the perpetrator was, you know, telling me, oh, this is our special thing, you know, well, first you kind of think that, and then you're like, oh, this is kind of weird. And so I'm curious, like, as you know, as kids are getting older and put in a situation like that, like how is that impacting their brain, you know, from an older, a little bit older, a little bit more developed? Yeah. yeah. You know, it, trying to understand or actually what's really sad is when they're actually taught about sex or when they start hearing about sex from other kids, they're embarrassed to know more than the other kids. And it's kind of like you're walking on the moon. And uh, it, it, for them, it, they're not a part. They're not, they don't look at themselves as the same as the other kids. They look at themselves as a one down or dirty mm-hmm. or, or somebody that uh, can't reveal what they know because if they do, it would reveal the person and then they would, they would have to deal with all that conflict. Mm-hmm. So for them, for, for kids, they don't fit in after those events and, and they know sharing that information comes at a cost. Mm -hmm. And so as they get older, they have a tendency to make sex a secret. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also too, coming from a background, um, you know, most kids, their families don't talk about sex. And so it is a very secretive topic. And even in a situation where my mom, you know, she did her best. She gave, you know, she, we sat down and had the talk and this kind of stuff, but it didn't, it was more around like menstruation and bodily functions than it was about, oh, you know, there's people out there in the world who will take advantage of you, you know, if you 
you know, don't know how to protect yourself from these kinds of things, which clearly I didn't. Mm. And so, yeah, so I think it's, um, it's really interesting. And I do agree, like, when that type of thing happens, it does take away your innocence. And suddenly you're, you have this secret that you're not able to share. And so it creates distance between, you know, family, parents, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, you, you can't let anybody get too close. Mm-hmm. And so that forms what's called an attachment disorder. Mm-hmm. So tell us more about that. Yeah, I mean, they may feel ashamed of who they are or what they've done. And, and they also feel taken advantage of because they know they were groomed uh, oftentimes into that molestation or sexual rape or whatever it was. They're, they're usually groomed into that by that person. So as they get into their teenage years, they start to understand that they were manipulated. And now they begin not to trust themselves to make commitments or to make uh, decisions they become uh, oftentimes indecisive and uh, oftentimes they're looking for somebody that's safe. And if in, instead of being somebody they're, they're totally attracted to, they're looking for somebody that they feel safe with. Mm, okay. So that sense of compromise and who, who, who they can be close to. Very interesting. So let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, let's talk about that some more. You got it. All right. <laughs> It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. As we age, there are certain situations which we all must face. Care and treatment don't always measure up to what it's supposed to be, and there are many questions that need to be answered. Tune in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with hosts Phyllis Amen and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a more fulfilling life, and we'll bring you the answers that you need to hear to make it happen. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. Hey, everyone. We're back. So, Dr. Gary, how can parents help their kids when, they're, when they suspect maybe some sort of abuse has happened? Well, they need to hear them, and they need to take it serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also want to take them to a doctor, um, to get examined, to make sure that they're okay. And then they want to make sure to get them treatment. 
And they want to make sure they understand that they're not alone, that this has happened to many people. And if they can plug into organizations that can also share other people's experiences, that can often be helpful, especially in a group, in a group situation. And how does it like, what kind of impact does that have like on boundaries for kids as they mature? Kids, well, young adults. The ones that migrate to drugs and alcohol, oftentimes they will, they, they loosen their boundaries because they feel like they've already sold themselves out. So they just kind of live in how they feel. And, uh, and so they go down that avenue. Many of them get into a lot of sexual activity, even more than they had before. And uh, there's consequences with all that, of course, if it's unprotected sex or, you know, getting pregnant. I mean, all these things can really, uh, and as a matter of fact, th there's a high percentage of, of people that were molested at a young age, that females that, that end up getting pregnant in uh, high school. Mm -hmm. And so that, that alone, making that adult decision while you're still a child. I mean, here, if you look in the day and age that we're in, the people don't really figure out who they want to be until they're about 32. <laughs> it right. Used to, it used to be 18, but it's 32. So imagine having a baby when you're like 16 years old. It's yeah. just unbelievable. So, you know, the consequences of how they feel about themselves can really wreck their life in high school. And then they never really fully recover until later on, if they've gone through therapy, if they've got some self-esteem, if they've found some kind of success in their life, then they start to kind of grab hold later on. Many of these people would have gone to college, would have done a whole lot of things, but instead they're, they're trying to survive. And um, that's just, it's, it's a terrible step for them. And parents have to be very serious and very vigilant because predators can get to you online through your phone, they can get to these kids and these kids live on their phones. They yep. live in their computers and, and virtually uh, there's, there's people out there that groom people through the internet. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've definitely honed their technique. And I think too, you know, just listening to you talk about these things, one of the things that just popped into my mind is, you know, in a situation where we know that a child has experienced trauma it sounds like if we were to pay particular attention during their teenage years to help try to keep them safe, um, you know, if they're being promiscuous, then maybe, you know, getting some sort of long-term, you know, use, you know, like, uh, what do I want to say, uh, user error-proof, you know, form of birth control where, you know, you can prevent some like a life-changing event like an unintended pregnancy from occurring during the teenage years I think could really help kids you know young people mm -hmm. you know to to help prevent them from falling into a situation where you you know you're 16 and pregnant type thing um, so that you can at least get through your younger years and have a chance to figure out what you actually want to do with your life and how to address. Maybe you're ready to address some of the traumas that have happened that you weren't able to, to fully address as a child, you know, kind of thing. Cause I know a lot of children who have experienced trauma do end up in therapy and that sort of thing. And do you think it's really helpful for kids to be in therapy you know, after experiencing a trauma? Well, it depends on what age and it depends if they were, they really want to be there. And, mm -hmm. and it, it, therapy is so personal. I mean, you, you have to find the right match. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so unfortunately, some kids don't find the right match and they don't get helped. Um, and some do. And, and so, you know, if you use like art, like art and therapy, sometimes you can discover what they're really feeling or what has really happened by what they draw or what they write or, you know, uh, listen to music, what music they like to hear. Mm-hmm. You can kind of understand how they're processing the trauma and by doing it that way in a nonverbal way. So a lot of kids therapy has to do with nonverbal communication. It has a lot to do with what they're doing, what their activities are, how they approach their activities. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing is, and I'm, I meant to mention this earlier, is that if it's a same sex deal, if it's a same sex molestation or mm-hmm. rape or whatever, mm-hmm. they tend to, those people tend to lean towards that in their adult life or their early adult life, trying to understand why this happened to them. Sure. Mm-hmm. And did I draw this on myself? Did I, did, is this something I brought on myself? And so they're processing this and, and, and participating in the same sex relationships. But in fact, they may not be, um, in fact, gay. They may actually be straight in some regards and and but they they process their sex life by their first experience mm-hmm. makes sense um and does that have a little to do with like imprinting or that sort of thing is that like an imprinting type behavior yeah yeah okay. uh, you know most people when emotional things happen most people want to logically deduce why did it happen <laughs> Right. Which is not the way you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because it's not often not logical. Mm -hmm. It's not logical. It's emotional. And anything that's emotional has nothing to do with logic whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting is, is that you've really got to begin to go, okay, what was happening? How did this happen? You know, what, what were the cues? And if you understand that, then you can learn from the experience. Okay. And when you say cues, like, what is it? What do you mean by that? Well, what were some things that happened that led up to this situation? You know, mm-hmm. they told me this, they did this, they, they crept in my room, whatever, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, they found a way to spend the night or whatever, whatever way they shaped it. Um, they can begin to understand where those cues are. So in their life, if they have kids, they understand what the, what these groomers do. Okay. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like the steps of the, the abusers are are taking to set kids up to be abused. Yes, and and these people that do that, that they, they're not the only one that they've done it to. Most of the time, they're they're out there doing it to all kinds of people, because kids, because they've learned how to. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. It becomes a pattern of behavior. So, how can parents help kids to understand what happened, um, like in a situation like that, like as part of the healing process? You know, what can parents do? Well, they need to be safe and they need to listen and mm-hmm. validate and, and then take a sense of accountability that they could have participated in helping them understand before, which is what's so great about what you're doing is say, have these talks early, educate your kids so they at least they understand that not everybody is well-intended, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, the, the sense of accountability means that we're both a part of this problem. We're both a part of this healing. It's not just you healing. It's all of us healing because I made mistakes, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's par- that's powerful, too. Um, because, yeah, I think 
especially as a child gets older and starts to, you know, look back and, and maybe think about, you know, things that have happened or signs that were there and may be angry at the parent, you know, like, why didn't you see this? Why didn't you protect me? You know, this kind of stuff. Well, you know, it's really strange. I've got a client, he's 89 and uh, he molested, he was an alcoholic and molested his daughter when she was like probably your age, the 10, 10 or whenever it happened to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he never really took full accountability for it. Mm-hmm. And as they grew up, he formed a really strong relationship with her until she was about 40. And um, at about 40, she entered therapy. And from that point on, and I'm not sure what the therapist told her, but from that point on, uh, she stopped having a relationship with her dad. Mm-hmm. And she refused to take his letters, his phone calls, anything. If he came to her, her place, um, she refused to have anything. And she still does to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, in working with him, it, it's all been about accountability. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. taking accountability and that's, and at least he's done that. Um, mm-hmm. But the scars can happen and come, the, the reaction to what happened can come any place in your life. It mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily happen in your childhood. Right. Mm-hmm. I've had people that um, did great up until maybe 30 or something. And then all of a sudden they start drinking and, just tear their life down because they're, they're actually recognizing that their brother or their father, somebody that actually did this to them and they blocked it and they denied it. Mm -hmm. And then, then all of a sudden they destroy their life and, or destroy parts of their life. And, um, you know, they blame. Yeah. It's very sad. So when we come back um, from this commercial break, let's talk a little bit about coping skills and how people, deal with some of this stuff sure all right we'll be right back it's your world motivate change succeed voiceamericaempowerment.com Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show. Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Are you aware that each one of us was born with a mission, a sense of purpose? Even if you don't know it yet, it will reveal itself. Pay attention to the clues that will lead you to uncover your mission. Listen to Mission Possible program with host Carol Ann Fernandez. Along with some amazing guests, Carol Ann seeks to help you along the journey to manifest your mission. It's time to unleash your greater potential. Mission Possible program airs live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. So, Dr. Gary, let's talk a little bit about, like, coping skills and depression and things like that. Because I know that when we've had trauma in our lives, we we come up with ways to cope and they may not necessarily be good or healthy ways of coping. They may be patterns that could be outdated um, that served us well as children and don't serve us well anymore. Um, So can you talk a little bit about coping patterns, um, the way that, that they help us to survive and how how we can, (laughs) how can we like update them uh, to like update the programming when uh, those situations uh, are no longer relevant and those patterns are now hurting us instead of helping us. Absolutely. You know, uh, coping skills have everything to do with pain, with uh, uh, mental pain, anguish, anxiety. Um, Anytime that someone has felt their life was out of their hands or out of their control, they often feel, and it's taken to a place of not their choosing or where it had, they had no influence whatsoever on the situation. Mm that begins to create trauma mm-hmm. and that trauma creates coping skills. Mm-hmm. And those coping skills can have to do with uh, many times people will be like OCD, um, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder where they'll develop a, a life of rituals and they live within those rituals so they can feel safe and they hate change and they hate new things and they don't like new people and they don't, they don't like anything different. And that's in order to, for them to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And so they they create these rituals and then they force it on their family <laughs> to have to compromise it. The, the other thing is uh, people that uh, have the coping skills. Once again, we talked about the drugs and the alcohol that that's, you know, an easy choice for, for somebody to just escape. Um, but the other coping skills have to do with depression. Depression can be a coping skill, but it's a thought disorder. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is their coping skills has a tendency to be um, uh, to be passive aggressive. And so they, they may have a tendency to hold back their feelings and not express their feelings out of guilt or shame or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then eventually something as, as a boiling pot boils, one little event that reminds them of all the things they stuffed happens. And all of a sudden they go nuts and they go to rage and the, the people around them are like, who is this person? Mm-hmm. You know, or they must have big problems. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the whole thing, and then they feel so, they just feel so humiliated because they can't really explain why they blew up over this little thing. Mm-hmm. But the reason they did is because they stuffed it for so long. Right. Took it out on somebody. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It was that, that straw that literally broke the camel's back. <laughs> big time, big time. Mm-hmm. But you know, from molestation, from childhood trauma, a lot of these coping skills come out of that. And so what is coping? It's not living. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, you're not alive. You're just, you're phoning it in. 
And so the people that have more, the more defense mechanisms, the people that can never hear what you have to say <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are living in their, in their mind. They're living in a delusion. They're not living in the moment. They're in the future and they're in the past, but they're not here. Right. And, and unfortunately, most people are not here in this moment. Yeah, it's really, it's challenging for people to be present and engaged, you know, with what's happening in the here and now. Yeah, but if you do it, you plug into life and you take leaps of faith and you take chances and, and then you have to work yourself out of the box and, and life is, becomes challenging and, and enriching, but people forget that. And they, they, they don't live into their talents. They just live into mediocrity. And a lot of that has to do with traumatic experiences that shape them. And now they have to operate reactively. So how can we move from that place of reactivity um, into that calmer space of being able, you know, instead of reacting to be able to move through life in a peaceful, easy way? <laughs> <laughs> be proactive, be proactive about creating our lives, you know, in a way that we enjoy them rather than reacting to the things that are happening to us. Yeah, you know, it's, it's actually the remedy for depression okay. is, is what it is. It's, if you look at all of the things you expect in your life, you know, I expect, you know, my kids to do their homework. I expect my uh, spouse not to want a divorce. I expect, uh, you know, whatever, you know, sure. I, whatever these things, I expect I was a millionaire by a certain, age. whatever these expectations are, little or little or big, they have a huge emotional attachment to them, especially when they're not realistic, especially when they don't account for human. And so what we tend to do is expect a whole lot, but we don't communicate the expectation, but we punish people and resent people for not meeting the expectations that we have. And that, those expectations, as they build through life, take into depression. And also, they make people uh, turn into irritable, angry people. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what do you do? You, you convert the expectation into a preference. And that's very simple. I prefer. You know, I prefer... You know, my kid did their homework. I'd prefer somebody would have washed the dishes. I prefer that, you know, my spouse was happy. I prefer that, uh, you know, I didn't work 12 hours a day. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But right now, this is the way it is. So, so now with a preference, you're willing to accept things as they are. Mm-hmm. And you're not emotional about it. And the beauty, beauty of a preference is you can communicate it all day long to anybody and not offend. Right. You're not a control freak. Mm-hmm. Right. And so preferences just basically set out benchmarks of what you would like. And that's how we influence life. Mm-hmm. Working from a preference, you can have peace in your life. If you have peace, that means you have acceptance. And when you have peace, you have access to all of your emotions, rather just the ones that react to not meeting expectations. Yeah, that feels a lot more peaceful because, yeah, I can think about times where things didn't work out the way I expected. And it's true. You know, unmet expectations are like, I think, one of like the big three, three things that really throw monkey wrenches into relationships. Big time. Big mm-hmm. time. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when people uh, start talking divorce, they, mm-hmm. they're usually headed for a divorce because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Unless someone gets in the way, hopefully they come to therapy, and then you step in and start creating hope. And you, car- you start accepting where we are today, and now let's work from where we are today instead of looking back in fear that are we going to be divorced, it's shaping your, your lives as individuals as preparing for it. And it feels like, you know, anybody in any kind of situation, whether it's divorce or have previously experienced some form of trauma in that working from that place of preference and it just feels a little more easy and you could move forward in a more healthy way and be able to, you know, create the healthier relationships and the things that you're looking for in your life. Exactly. You know, look at, uh, I don't know. Do you remember Victor Frankl, the book man's search for meaning? No, I haven't read that one. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a thin book. Um, he went through Auschwitz, all the, all the, he was in the concentration camps for three years. He mm-hmm. lost his family, lost everything. And he was a medical doctor. And what he decided was, is to just, be in the moment and make memories in the moment with the people without the fear of being dead, not having food, not having cleanliness, just be there in the moment. And the more he did that, the more he was to lit, the more he was able to survive and teach other people how to survive through the camp. Mm-hmm. And some of those people developed the endurance to make it. Some mm-hmm. of them didn't because they were killed. But the bottom line was, is he came to the United States where we had violent prisons and he taught prisoners how to make peace with being in prison and actually form a life there. And therefore the safety went down at every prison that he taught. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Less dangerous place to be because people have hope and have a healthier way of coping with their situation by being present and enjoying each moment as it comes, which I think is very powerful, you know, to have that awareness and be present. And, you know, when you're not thinking about being sent, you know, to the gas chamber or something like that tomorrow, you're able to be today in that moment of like, wow, you're this person in front of me is a really amazing human being. And I'm so grateful to be able to spend this time with that person. regardless of what's on the agenda for tomorrow, you know? Exactly. And he figured out that that's the one thing the Nazis could not take from him is making memories. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the meaning of our life, it's really all of the things we have in our life will go away. But the memories, if we cultivate good memories with all kinds of people, our legacy will live so far beyond us. Mm-hmm. So true. Yes. Because we impact people every day. And if you can leave people with, um, you know, smile on their face and, you know, a good interaction, it's like, they're going to remember you and, you know, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. It is cool. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back after this. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The White House doctor makes house calls. 
Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore what we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Empowerment. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. We're back, Dr. Gary. I'd like to ask you a little bit about, like, the development of children. And then um, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about discipline uh, before we wrap up the show today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, children are... A floating target. <laughs> <laughs> well, we meet that. I mean that in the most kind way. In the yes. most kind way, absolutely. Uh, yes. I mean, their development just changes constantly, especially when they're young. Uh, you know, they just go through so many things. But we have to look at the first thing that a child really assesses, and this is why they cry in their first year, is to test who is safe. And, and, and if they determine who is safe in that first year, then they start to develop a sense of exploration, curiosity, a sense of, of being able to, you know, think out of the box, you know, to, to be able to be more creative, to be able to be safe, to have imagination, because they know that their basics are met and they know that they're safe and accepted for who they are. And, and children and uh, babies are so smart in doing that. But parents that don't focus on rituals and making sure there's a schedule, making sure to understand what the cry means, if they don't do that, they have a tendency for the child to feel lost and to feel a sense that they're not safe. And then they develop into a more insecure child who doesn't form as many relationships with people. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, we actually just had a conversation recently with Dr. Gary Salyer, who does a lot of work with attachment theory, and I find it extremely interesting. Yeah, it is a very mm-hmm. interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, all about how we form attachments uh, based on how we were treated as babies and whether or not our, our different needs were met. And so, yeah, very super, super interesting. So what about um, like when it comes to discipline and all of that? I know that you that you talk to parents about some of that. So can what can you share with parents about that? 
Well, you know, it's important if you're going to do discipline that you have to be communicating what you're disciplining for. You can't be yelling at them or, or just trying to shut them down. What you want to be, be doing is educating because in the first 10 years, uh, that's when you form values. And those values get, get locked in as muscle memory. And by the time you're 10, your job as a parent is to see how they exercise their values. And so what that means is, is that we step back and allow them to run their own show. And if we're going to discipline them, we basically outline what is bad and what is good, what's going to happen when it's bad and what's going to happen when it's good and, and, and guide them that way through the teenage years. Um, and so when they're younger, when they're in the younger years, you have to be hands-on. You have to be actively involved and in, in shaping them and getting them in, in front of situations that allow them to begin to understand they have to adapt to life continuously. And people that are active parents hate it, but at the same time, you're developing an individual that is learning what they're good at. Mm -hmm. and, and they're exploring and they're stumbling into things that they may or may not like. And, and they're shaping themselves as a person. So if you're not a proactive parent, if, if you're just a reactive parent or you're somebody that just comes home and, you know, folds your tent, um, that's not going to shape the child. And unfortunately, you're going to have very little influence on that child for the rest of their life. So I'm curious, can you like give us a description or an example of what a reactive parent versus a proactive parent might look like? Yeah, I call, I call them breeding stock. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot of breeding stock out there, people who can breed, but they can't parent mm -hmm. and don't want to parent. Right. And sometimes in a marriage, there's one breeding stock and there's one regular <laughs> parent. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so mm -hmm. If you're lucky as a kid, you get two. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, some people aren't cut out to be parents. And so they, they don't parent. Or if they do, it's just the kids getting in my way and I got to get them out of my way. Mm -hmm. So they don't spend time with their child. They react to what their child does. And then that's kind of like where you get in the situations where the children maybe behaves poorly in order to get a reaction. Well, negative attention is better than nothing at all. Right. And uh, sometimes that's what you do. Yeah. That's all. Sometimes that's all you can get. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, these kids that, that their experience, their parents getting divorced when they're young often live a reactive childhood, um, basically having to make their way. Mm -hmm. um, because one parent, you know, their income is usually cut in half. Uh, their, their style, their quality of life is cut in half and their parental system is cut in half. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now they have to kind of make their own way. And so they, they become parentified children is what they end up doing. Okay. And what does that mean? Is like they're parenting themselves or what does that mean? Yeah. They're eight years old, learning how to cook, learning how to do for themselves, basically, which is something they should do. But they should be doing it out of joy, not out of survival. Right. Yeah. Different set of circumstances. I, I get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, when a kid gets older, when it's after 10, it's really smart for people to form what's called a behavior contract. And, and a behavior contract is very simple. You outline five to three to five behaviors that you don't want them to do. Keep it very simple. Very, very, very simple. If it's homework, 
if it, if it's uh you know acting out if it's uh uh stealing if it's lying whatever the the pervasive behaviors are that are disruptive to the family you you outline those behaviors and if they do those you have a commodity which is usually a telephone or something like that that you're going to take away from them for a certain amount of time and if they do any of those again they you take it for longer and then longer and then longer if they do it again until they understand they they pay a cost for those behaviors mm-hmm. the other thing is you want to give them a way to buy it back and that may be to cut the time in half if they apologize and take accountability. I love that because I know I know of parents who have gone through, you know, like the taking away of stuff, but there was never any way for the child to get the thing back. Yeah. Other than to let the duration expire or to or based on the whim of the parent. And you see that's just abuse. And I hate to say that, but it, you know, but it is, it's, it's, it's teaching the child that you do what I tell you. Right. And that's not what we do when we're raising kids. We want them to be independent thinkers because they're going to go out and run their own life and guess who's going to, they're going to have to fall back on because you didn't give them a chance to make their own choices. Hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. What else can parents do? Because that, that whole piece about buying it back, like that's huge. I think I bet there's lots of parents who never even thought of that. So what else? What else do you have up your sleeve that parents could really like benefit from knowing? <laughs> <laughs> well, the goal is to get them the hell out of your house. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, successful launch. Yeah, successfully okay. launch your child. Mm-hmm. So that means you have to teach them the value of money. <laughs> You have to teach them the value of a career mm-hmm. um, and you want to teach them how to form a passion and how to make the passion be a part of what they want their career to be. And that self-discovery is really important. You know, a lot of people will just hammer on, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? You know, why don't you go work at McDonald's or why don't you make a living? Why don't you do this? If you form a dialogue of what are you passionate about, you're joining your child on an adventure for the rest of their life because they started to form their passion with you. Right. And that's an incredible journey to watch. Absolutely. It totally is. That's great. But if you don't teach your child how to find their passion or try to give them opportunities to find it, then what you end up having is a a listless child who doesn't know what to do, uh, stumbles through their 20s, going to work in various places, maybe maybe going to community college, whatever, living with their parents until they're like 32. And uh, if they're lucky, somebody that took a little more accountability for their life might come along and take them for a ride. And, right. Uh, you know, and, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I really am a big proponent of helping kids to figure out what their passion is, um, to help inspire young people. When I was, um, I think I was 20, and I took a class on um, mythology, actually, and came, came across Joseph Campbell and was so inspired by his words, follow your bliss. Mm-hmm. And it ties into that, you know, like, find your passion. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, out of all of the things that I did, you know, in that time period, you know, those three words, I think, had the biggest impact on me because it really made me like tune in and be aware of, you know, what am I passionate about? And when I, you know, discovered, you know, fertility awareness and that my body was doing all these cool things and, you know, and realized that this information was out there and not being shared with young women, um, with girls. And it really just like made me sit up and realize, you know, it's like, you know, women need this information. And that has been something that has carried with me my whole life and is why I'm here right now <laughs> talking to you. Yeah, but, I mean, isn't that fantastic to, mm-hmm. be, to be that, to be a part of your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's been, it's been huge. And, I'm, I want to share, you know, this with other women, you know, with, you know, and guys too, you know, I mean, men need to n- understand women's bodies as well. So, they do. yeah, so it's all part of a bigger circle and a bigger goal. And, and, you know, I know we're rapidly running out of time here. And so I want to just take a moment to share what you have been working on, because I know that you have a brand new book that is coming out this month. And so, yeah, tell us about that. Oh man, it's, you know what, it just kind of, I've had it in the back of my mind for like 10 years and then all of a sudden it's just kind of struck me, but it's called the good book of mental hygiene. And, uh, it's a Christian book, but what, what I did was I, I took Paul's letters to the various cities and the various communities and the various people that he had met and dealt with. And he's sitting in prison writing these letters. Well, I wrote to disorders and so, like uh, people that are miserable and married, I call them the misery lights, okay, or the narcissinans, or or the melancholians. Awesome. I'm writing to the disorders, and mm-hmm. so it's not it's not in a bunch of biblical context, but what it is is it's basically uh, how to help these people and how they mm-hmm. can help themselves. Mm-hmm. Great, that's cool. And we actually we had a conversation. And Dr. Gary has agreed to give away 10 copies of his brand new book. So we are going to have a little giveaway that we're going to do. So what you can do is you can go to Holistic Sex Ed Radio, and I'm going to put the link right at the top of the page. So you can just look for the giveaway link and you can go over there. You can put your email address in and um, I believe right around uh, the probably April 10th or so, we are going to do a drawing for 10 books. And so what we'll do is we'll do that drawing and then I'll send all that information over to Dr. Gary and he will send you a copy of his brand new book. So very exciting. Thank you, Dr. Gary, for sharing that with everybody. I'm sure a lot of people will be very interested to learn about the disorders from this perspective. It feels like a really fun and different way of learning about the different things that can be going on with our brains. Yeah. Well, thank you, Robin. And I hope, I hope folks uh, also tune into my show because I want to promote your show. I have a show here on the empowerment channel. It's Dr. Gary Bell's absurd psychology. Yes. And I have to say, I have been enjoying the show. There's always topics of great interest to me. I'm always interested in that kind of thing. But I've been listening actually ever since I started coming on to Voice America and have been enjoying your show. So I'm really glad that you uh, were able to come on my show. Thank you, Robin. Thank you so much for having me. Some of that. So thanks for listening today, everybody. And be sure to sign up for a copy of Dr. Gary's book. 
and definitely check out his show because it's really amazing. So Dr. Gary Bell, Absurd Psychology, and it's a great show. So check it out. So thanks a lot, Dr. Gary. It's been a real pleasure today. Thank you, Robin. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. See you next week. You've been listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us today. While these conversations may be difficult at times, the rewards are well worth it. We have the power to change the world by what we teach our kids. Join host Robin LaCrosse next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thought-provoking conversation. Thank you and have a beautiful day.